Hey everybody, welcome to the beginning of the week. We just had the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. We had another Red Bull 1-2. Ferrari with some difficulties. Mercedes looking consistent. Just so many different things to break down from the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Oh yeah, and of course, we have another race weekend coming up. Yes, it's a back-to-back. A weird back-to-back going from Baku to Canada for the first time since 2019. So a lot to break down in this podcast. Hopefully you're enjoying. If you're a Red Bull fan, you're probably very pumped with that Red Bull 1-2. Another Max Verstappen win of dominance. If you're a Ferrari fan, you're probably feeling a little bummed. More reliability issues. But overall, another solid Baku race weekend and Azerbaijan race weekend. And we're here to break it down and discuss everything on the An American F1 podcast hosted by F1idiots.com. So, this race weekend was Azerbaijan. You know, I always look forward to the Baku street circuit because it always seems like it's been a place where there have been great races. You know, there has been uh, races of pure chaos. We've had unique podiums, different race winners, different pole sitters. So, Azerbaijan going into this race weekend, um, I'm always pretty excited for this race weekend. And I really honestly thought that there was going to be some chaos at this week's Azerbaijan Grand Prix. I don't know why I expected it, but I guess I was just feeling the hype from races of previous years. And uh, I got to say, for an Azerbaijan Grand Prix, it was uh, relatively calm. I mean, I think it would have been very difficult to replicate what had happened in 2021 with, you know, we had the tire failures between Lance Stroll and then the race leader, Max Verstappen. We had that red flag, that late red flag start. We had Lewis Hamilton and Brake Magic. So, yeah, I guess it was unreasonable to expect that same type of chaos. And we've had chaos like that in races past, too. So I guess I was expecting a little too much little too high expectations. But uh, going into the race weekend, there was a lot of things that we were looking forward to going into the race weekend. And probably one of the biggest things was what would happen with this championship battle. Because Monaco undoubtedly, at least in our minds, changed how we would perceive the championship battle. I mean... We know Max Verstappen was at the top, Charles Leclerc, but then Sergio Perez's win at Monaco and Christian Horner's comments that, you know, it's not Max Verstappen racing, it's Red Bull racing, uh, really made us watch this race weekend with the intent of thinking and looking where Sergio Perez would finish because could he use Baku, use Azerbaijan as a place to cement himself Uh, in this championship battle and really show himself belonging in that championship battle at the top with Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. And to be fair, if you were watching the race weekend from the beginning, uh, it looked like Perez was going to cement himself as a legitimate contender, as someone who is going to challenge even his own teammate uh, in this race and in the championship battle because from practice one all the way to qualifying, Perez was better than Max Verstappen. He was looking, it looked like that this was going to be his weekend to cement his location 
his right to fight in this championship battle. So uh, that was an interesting dynamic that was going to play itself out during this race weekend. And we'll talk about eventually what happened with that. But just going into qualifying, right? So this race weekend looked like Ferrari looked quick. Ferrari had a quick car. Um, all practice long. Leclerc was always at the top. Carlos Sainz still lagging a little behind in the practices. The Red Bulls were right there. I know there was some debate as to who had the actual race pace. Would it be Ferrari? Would it be Red Bull? Who was actually going to uh, have the pace to maintain that lead? So we get into the qualifying and Charles Leclerc yet again nabs a pole. Perez out qualifies Verstappen and signs and Russell round out that top five. So uh, fairly typical qualifying, not too many significant surprises there. I guess the one thing you could say that was pretty disappointing uh, overall from qualifying was the lack of just pure pace from the Haases again. Um, and even uh, Valtteri Bottas not having his best qualifying out and going out in a Q2 for the first time in a while. But uh, yeah, big deal. Charles Leclerc on the pole and then we're getting into the race itself. So the race itself, Sergio Perez gets an absolute bonkers start. I mean, he gets off the line quick, opens up a lead, and then we notice that maybe he overcooked his tires a little too much and, uh, you know, was going, maybe pushing a little too hard in those opening laps, which ultimately set up the opportunity for Max Verstappen to then cut in. Um, but, yeah, for Sergio Perez, great start, but just disappointing with the pace overall in the race itself. So, uh, you know, I thought this would be another race. It just seems like every time Sergio Perez has the race lead with Red Bull in, you know, normal situations, I mean, Monaco aside, it seems like something happens thinking back to uh, Saudi Arabia too, right, where, um, you know, he looked like he was going to dominate that race and an unfortunate strategy call just kind of put him back there. And and once Verstappen gets that opportunity to be ahead, you know, as much as Red Bull says they're going to let the two battle, um, you know, if, if Verstappen has that advantage, I don't think they're going to encourage Sergio as they did in Azerbaijan this race weekend. They're, they're not going to encourage him to uh, fight with Max, which is why we heard, right, the no fighting message in the race. But I think anyway, on pure pace, Max Verstappen, I mean, I don't know if it was tire management, just good driving skills, but Max had unbelievable pace during the race. And I think he wasn't even going to be, even if Sergio tried to match the pace of Max Verstappen, I don't think he was going to even be close. I think, I think Max was just on fire this race weekend and really, really showed why he has a commanding lead in this championship. He's just, when Max is on, he is on. And I cannot believe the record of finishes this guy has. When he, when he finishes, he finds himself a way to finish P1 pretty much. Um, with the exception of Monaco, which I guess, you know, a little different circuit, but he still found himself on the podium. So it's just unbelievable what Max is able to do. I mean, we're going to talk about somebody else who's Mr. Consistency, but um, 
Max Verstappen definitely belongs up there. And he shows why, even with those earlier problems in the season that Red Bull had, that Max, if if you make one mistake, Max is going to capitalize on it. And it shows why he is where he is in this championship battle. Um, so, yeah, Verstappen with a solid race. Perez with a solid race. Um, the other the other team that has been doing a lot with a little, and this is almost like a race in, race out kind of vibe, but that team that has always been doing a lot with a little is Mercedes. I mean, listen, they, oh, man, that, I get pain every time I watch that Mercedes porpoise. It is brutal the way that thing is porpoising, and just the noise you hear when you're watching that race, like, I totally understand the issue that people have with porpoising because that has got to hurt. And I totally understand why Lewis uh, would have that back pain. I mean, there is no way that can be healthy. But uh, what is Mercedes to do with porpoising? I mean, this team clearly, with even with their porpoising, they are... Achieving great finishes, uh, George Russell got a third podium again. Again, kind of lucking into it, but still getting a third podium. Uh, not the fastest car in the field by far, but managing to put that silver arrows on the third step of the podium just to you know, show that if Mercedes turns this thing around somehow, and I don't know how they're going to, but if Mercedes manages to figure out their problems... I'm not saying there's going to be a mid-season renaissance, but things could get interesting, especially if George is able to keep up his same performance. Um, but yeah, that porpoising for Lewis, it looked like Lewis had trouble getting out of his car. Christian Horner, of course, was claiming that maybe Mercedes is exaggerating the problem to create some changes, but apparently of the 20 drivers, 19 did say that this is a severe problem, Fernando Alonso being the only one who did it. But um, I don't know if they're trying to force the FIA to make some regulation change. There are two sides to that argument with porpoising. One side of the argument is, well, Mercedes can fix it, but they're going to have to sacrifice performance. Uh, The other side of it is it shouldn't have to be this problem. It's a danger to the driver's health and safety. Listen, I I get both points of view. I do kind of agree with the former point that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, porpoising has always been an issue with these ground effect cars. We've seen it in the past. It is true that, you know, you can eliminate it, but you have to raise the ride height. You have to make an adjustment and probably sacrifice performance. So... You know, a part of Formula One racing, and it's literally in the name, is that basically your job is to design the best car to the tech regulations. And that best car means getting the most performance, creating the fastest car. Um, and if you feel, if you have created a fast car that's uncomfortable for your driver, what do you do? Do you let them deal with it? Do you adjust it and sacrifice performance? Because obviously, listen, if your car is porpoising and causing your driver problems, 
but yet it's fast. Did you design the best car? Yes, I know you can't simulate porpoising in the simulator. But at the same time, is that is forcing a regulation to eliminate porpoising the true spirit of the regulations? Because if you're a team like Red Bull that has figured out how to be fast without porpoising, that's unfair. You have done your homework. You've done your job. You've designed a great car. And you don't have that severe porpoising issue. These other teams, yes, they're fast. But it's hurting their drivers. So what do you do? And it's probably hurting their cars. We see reliability. We're going to get into that. Reliability has been an issue. You can't tell me that because these cars are bouncing so much that, you know, these reliability problems aren't related to that. I mean, I'm not an engineering expert, but... I would think that if something is bouncing around all the time, especially in cars that are as fragile as F1 cars, um, you can't tell me that reliability issues aren't related in part to porpoising. Although we haven't seen really any major reliabilities from Mercedes. So maybe they have their reliability figured out, but not quite their porpoising. Um, But getting into reliability, okay? So this race weekend, right? We were... You know, Monaco was an absolute strategy disaster for Ferrari. And at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, things looked to be smooth sailing again for Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. And, you know, Carlos was a little further back, but it looked like Ferrari was having a good rebound race. And of course, of course, because for those of you who are Ferrari fans, you can't ever just have things the way you want it. Um... You know, we have, first we have Carlos Sainz going off the track and we're looking and it's apparently a break by wire issue. And we see Carlos Sainz stopping. We're like, all right, maybe, you know, this happens, uh, you know, things happen like that. It's okay. We'll see what happens. And so that was about, I think that was lap nine, lap 10. So, Carlos signs off the track, car clearly with an issue. Then, we go back to green flag racing. And, you know, the race is going, and it looks like things are going all right. Leclerc is hanging on, not doing too bad. And then, all of a sudden, we see Charles Leclerc just slowly blowing white smoke out of the back of his car. And his Ferrari dead with an issue. So Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, two Ferrari drivers, blowing up in the middle of the race. Just having reliability issues falling apart. And it is frustrating. I'm not a Ferrari fan, but I want to see a good championship battle. And it's frustrating because every time... This year, Charles Leclerc has been in a good position. Whether it was Barcelona, whether it was Monaco, whether it was Baku. Something has happened, either reliability-wise or strategy-wise, or his own fault, to just absolutely botch the race. There are so many points that Ferrari has just thrown away because of reliability issues or strategy issues. And it is, it is frustrating. It's frustrating to watch. I cannot imagine how it's got to feel to be Charles Leclerc because we thought 
if you went back to the first four races of the season, you're thinking, okay, this is Charles Leclerc's championship to lose. This is Ferrari's championship to lose. You know, Red Bull had their share of reliability issues in the beginning of the season. Ferrari looked good. They look fast. And they are fast. When they're reliable, they're fast. But they just can't put it back together. And this has been a story of Ferrari for a few years now. It's almost too predictable. Thinking back to those battles with Vettel and Hamilton. The same issue. Car looks good. Has a reliability issue. Has a strategy issue. It's like Ferrari is a masterclass in blowing strategy. Or reliability. And it's just oh, it's so painful to watch. And now adding to that. This had other ramifications because the Ferrari power units also affected another driver. Zhou Guan Yu. Probably having one of the best rookie seasons a driver has had in a while. I'm I'm not exaggerating that. I think Zhou Guan Yu has done a relatively good job in that Alfa Romeo. And yet again, when he's in a good position, he has a reliability issue. And you could feel the frustration on him. You could feel it. He was so angry, and I don't blame him. Because every time he's been in a good position, they've had some kind of issue. And he's not doing bad for his rookie season. He's he's doing what he's supposed to. But yet, when it comes down to uh, closing out races, just like his Ferrari you know, brothers, I guess you would say, um, reliability creeps in. And then, of course, the Haas with Magnussen also having an issue while he was in a prime position. And especially with the amount of retirements in this race. I mean, ugh, so frustrating to watch as a fan, as a spectator. So frustrating to see. But, I mean, the four DNFs, with the exception of Stroll, were all Ferrari power units. So, that's another frustrating thing to watch. Um, but... Other great parts of the race, right? We had Pierre Gasly uh, finishing a solid fifth. I think he was pretty happy with that turnaround. Uh, Alpha Tauri actually had themselves a decent race weekend. Uh, Yuki, unfortunately, had that DRS issue where I've never seen that before where only half a wing is open. It looked like the wing basically was like split in half. They had to duct tape it together. Not quite sure if that's a legal fix or not, but I guess the FIA was okay with it. Uh, but yeah, Pierre Gasly with a nice rebound race after struggling either with uh, reliability or just bad luck, uh, bad strategy these last couple of races, uh, bad qualifying strategy, things like that. Pierre Gasly had himself another a, a good race, a good rebound race, another good race at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Uh, speaking of drivers with rebound races too. Sebastian the midfield had a lot of great performances. We had Sebastian Vettel in sixth. I think he needed that. That is a great finish, a top six finish for Sebastian Vettel. Um, couldn't be more excited for that Aston Martin. He probably could have even done better if he didn't spin out uh, on his own. But still incredible that he finished sixth. Lewis Hamilton with an incredible drive through the field. Fernando Alonso. Finishing a solid seventh. Um, not really doing so much Fernando Alonso things like he did at Monaco. Oh, and the McLaren duo. Daniel Ricardo finishing ahead of Lando. Daniel finishing an eighth. That was um, that was interesting. 
I'm sure some people are going to play it up to be more than it was. Uh, but basically, if you were watching the race from the beginning, you know that there was kind of this background story of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix going on. Uh, other than the battles at the front, probably the other most interesting thing was the McLaren drivers. Because for the longest time, Daniel Ricciardo was in the first stint, was behind Lando Norris. And Daniel Ricciardo looked like he had the pace to overtake Lando. And he was getting frustrated. He was actually getting held up by the Alpine and then getting in danger of getting passed by Pierre Gasly. And he's just like, bro, can I, can I get past Lando? And, you know, McLaren's strategist said, no, 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 team orders, hold on. We have a strategy going on. And they basically wouldn't let Danny Rick pass Lando. And you could sense the frustration in Daniel Ricciardo. But then things turned around on the last stint where Daniel Ricciardo now was in front of Lando on pure pace. And then, uh, Lando now trying to overtake Daniel, and basically McLaren gave the favor back to Daniel Ricciardo and let him maintain that position, but Lando most definitely had the pace to overtake, and you could sense Lando's frustration as well. I think I think people are going to blow this up a little more than it actually is. I think people are going to look at it and say, you know, there's tension at McLaren, they're trying to save Daniel Ricciardo, or I don't know, I, I could just sense that there's going to be some storylines behind it but honestly I think it was nothing more than teams just really trying to uh, maintain a good points position and do what they had to do with their strategy I know uh, we don't like when team orders happen it's frustrating but uh, it was I guess necessary in this race could McLaren have done it a little better I guess so I'm not on the pit box I don't know what is going through their minds why they have that strategy but it was a little frustrating to hear the banter back and forth. But nevertheless, I think Daniel Ricciardo needed that good finish as well, kind of to boost his confidence. And for what it's worth, they both McLaren drivers who did not make Q3 did have a very solid and I would say consistent race as well. Uh, the Alpines were rocket ships. They just couldn't get past a few drivers. I think if Fernando Alonso had a better chance at the front, he could have been competing right up there with uh, Hamilton and Russell. Those those Alpines in the straight line are quick. And I'm I'm still waiting for I, – I don't know what track it's going to be, but there's got to be a track that Alpine's going to have a chance to win. It. I don't know why. I feel like – I still feel like there's some kind of midseason surprise for us. I know right now it looks like Red Bull is dominating, but I feel like there's there's something with – you know, especially with the way the cost cap works and upgrades, I feel like I feel like either after summer break or right before I just feel like there's some kind of surprise and I still think we're gonna see more race victories. I, I that's my gut feeling. I have no empirical evidence of that. But I would like to see something unique happen with uh, that regard. Uh the Williams drivers, Alex Albon again doing what he can with that Williams. Uh you know, not the great qualifying effort, but did manage to finish in 12th. Again, aided by some retirements and some mechanical issues for like Yuki Tsunoda. Um, and then, man, poor Nick Latifi uh, finishing the last of the drivers uh, on pure pace. And uh, it looks like as we go into our first Canadian Grand Prix since 2019, it looks like this is unfortunately going to be Nicholas Latifi's last Canadian Grand Prix as it looks like 
from what reports are saying, Oscar Piastri is going to get a chance in that Williams in 2023. And which would also mean probably that Williams is going to switch to uh, Renault engines, which listen for Oscar Piastri. It's great. Great news for him. Uh, I would love to see what he can do. He deserves the ride. I think he's a talented driver. He deserves that opportunity up at F1. Uh, For Nick Latifi, listen, what can I say? I really had hopes that 2022 was going to be a better year for Latifi. I thought, especially because he didn't really, I know he's known for his infamous uh, off at Abu Dhabi, but I thought 2022 was going to be better for Nick Latifi. I thought Williams was on the up and up. I thought he was going to kind of take over more of a veteran leadership role in that team with Alex Albon. But, man, he just doesn't have it. And, uh, yeah, if there's a driver more deserving, I mean, it sucks, but it's true. Uh, Oscar Piastri deserves that opportunity at the top. And if that means getting rid of Nick Latifi... That's uh, unfortunately the way it's going to go. I think Nick Latifi will find an opportunity elsewhere. He might find himself in IndyCar as well, maybe endurance racing. I don't know. I would love to see him continue doing something that we could follow because I think I don't think that all of Nick Latifi's problems are due to his bad driving. I don't think he's a terrible driver. We've seen what he can do in F2. Um, I think more of the issues with Nick Latifi is maybe he's trying to overdrive that Williams and drive it better and maybe feeling too much pressure uh, with Alex Albon outperforming him, and he's simply just not getting the job done. And that brings us to also the Haas, which have been a hot topic, specifically Mick Schumacher. So Mick had another disastrous weekend. I mean, again, not helped by the fact that in FP1, he had mechanical issues. I believe he had some mechanical issues in FP2 also. Uh, he just never had the pace. It was either they never got the setup right or Haas has also kind of regressed. Probably not aided by the fact that Mick has had accidents that have cost him much. But yeah, uh, Mick Schumacher just not on the pace that we would like him to be. And Gunther Steiner did actually defend him this week too, so... I guess they're, you know, obviously still expecting more from Mick and they're they're obviously not going to, you know, call out their driver and say, you know, we're giving up on him. Hopefully Mick can find pace. It, it took him a while to adjust to F2. I don't think he did bad last year. He did have moments of or flashes of brilliance last year. You know, he got he got that house in the Q2 at Russia in the wet. He was battling in Hungary, even though, you know, it was with damaged cars behind him, but he was battling. So I think the potential is there. He's got to figure out this car and he's got to start driving it like he can. Um, he's got to get into some Q2s. He's got to get into some Q3s. He's got to score some points. And I don't know how much more opportunities he's going to get because I think Haas is starting to regress. I mean, yeah, Kevin Magnussen actually did look pretty quick at Azerbaijan. So maybe they aren't regressing as much as we thought, but I don't know. I just don't know if that Haas is going to be as competitive in the last half of the season as they could have been in this first half. And I think it's a shame that, you know, either because of bad luck or reliability, they've kind of thrown or driver error. They've thrown away a lot of points scoring opportunities. So remains to be seen what Haas can do. 
Uh, going to be interesting. Mick Schumacher, I don't think, is on the hot seat, but he's got to start making some performances count. And he's got to prove that he's worthy of maintaining his seat there. Uh, and again, not because I'm saying he's going to lose it right away, but just because he will start to feel that pressure. So Azerbaijan, again, for a race weekend at Baku, Although there was like, you know, reliability chaos, it was a relatively smooth, what I would call average or mid style race. You know, it was par for the course. Nothing really too surprising. Not many major curveballs, but a lot of good performances like we saw in the midfield. And now it's a back to back weekend, which it still boggles my mind that Formula One does the Azerbaijan to Canada double header like back to back why why is that i don't know but that's got to be rough for the teams the drivers you're going from literally azerbaijan which is pretty much by russia uh all the way to canada which we know where canada is in case you don't know it's in north america for me i'm happy because it's a three o'clock race i i do kind of like i'm not gonna lie being from america i do love the early morning races i like you know sometimes a nice seven o'clock race waking up having a little iced coffee uh, 9 o'clock race, you know, I'm not going to lie, sometimes for the 9, 10 o'clock, maybe open a little beverage, enjoy the race, and uh, but this time it's going to be at 3 o'clock, so maybe I'll put it on outside and TV, watch the race. But Canada, we're going back to Canada for the first time since 2019, and that's pretty exciting because the Canadian Grand Prix, I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing to think the last Canadian Grand Prix was the the infamous one where... Sebastian Vettel absolutely, with Ferrari, absolutely dominated the race and got that five-second time penalty for his little off, little brush on Hamilton on the outside. And uh, it just feels like that was so long ago when Sebastian Vettel felt he got robbed of a race win at Canada. But it was so weird because just thinking back, the last time we had a Canadian Grand Prix was before the pandemic in 2019. I mean, Daniel Ricciardo was with Renault. Uh, you know, we had the pink, we had the pink racing points. What else was interesting? Oh, I, I was just rewatching the highlights. The rich energy Haas still existed. So it's kind of mind blowing. I think that was only 2019 because it feels like it was so, so long ago, but Canada has had a lot of great moments, um, and a lot of great racing. So looking forward to this race weekend, I don't know if we'll see any surprises per se, but I don't know. I'm not ready to make any bold predictions. I'm going to think back, hopefully report to you guys on Thursday, trying to really put together some good ideas for Canada because I think I think maybe we know, well, one thing we know that's going to happen probably is Mercedes will still struggle with porpoising because it's a very uneven track surface and not really built for their type of car, but I don't know. Uh, will Ferrari sort their porpoising problems out? Can Checo outperform Max and prove himself worthy of still being in this championship battle? And how much is Red Bull really going to stick to the no fighting or allowing them to battle ideas? What are they going to stick to? So a lot of interesting things coming up for the Canadian Grand Prix. We'll think of some things to talk about with you guys on Thursday. But until then, enjoy Get ready for the Canadian Grand Prix. Feel free to follow us on www.f1idiots.com on our blog. 
or also on Twitter at F1Idiots. You can also follow me at N American F1. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you soon later this week.